Mac Power Users, episode 406, MPU Plus, recorded on September 22nd, 2017. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside my pal David Sparks. How are you feeling, David? I'm I'm surviving, Katie Floyd. I'm surviving. That's all that matters. All right. Well, you you've been uh, you've been like deathly ill there. You've got like the plague or something going on. I, I you coughed like right into the microphone, and I, now I'm a little nervous that that something's going to happen to me. I think I may have just infected you. Oh, boy. I I don't know what happened. I got a cold, and it just got. It's like colds to me are always like background illnesses, you know, you can usually generally get by with them, but this one is just kicking my butt. And, uh, anyway, I also have an ear infection, so I cannot hear it through the right side of my head as we record the show. So this will be fun. And I'm going to, I'm going to ride the, um, the mute button gang. So, uh, and I'm not usually doing that. So Lord only knows what I'm going to do to my audio recording today. So with that in mind. We're going to have a great show. We're going to put our trust in Mark, who always, always does a great job editing this. Um, well, you know what you did, David, is um, you, you got sick because you didn't take care of yourself. And you know what you needed that would have helped a lot is you need a, you need a nice warm jacket. Oh, or perhaps a hoodie. A hoodie. You must, you must have gone outside when it was cold. How, how was that for a transition? Yeah, there you go. There you go. So they're out now. The hoodies and t-shirts we talked about last week, now, now you can get them. Yes, but for a very limited time. So we have exclusive, limited time, really nice, actually, uh, MPU hoodies and t-shirts that are available. So the hoodies are um, pretty high quality. Uh, they're very high quality. They're, they're done by Cotton Bureau. They're embroidered hoodies. Um, they're, they're made by the, the fancy company that Jason Snell um, hooked us on to. Uh, if you'll give me a minute, I'll, I'll get the name of them. But they've got the famous... Cotton Bureau. Cotton, well, no, Cotton Bureau doesn't make the hoodies. They just embroider the hoodies. Oh, okay. Um, but they're, um, they're, um, they've got the famous Mac Power Users uh, battery logo, the, the infamous Mac Power Users battery logo that is, um, that is um, embroidered on them. Uh, nice, oversized, comfy hoodie, and um, they're going to be available. Oh, Independent Trading Company. It's their independent zip hoodie, and you were very insistent that they be a zip hoodie because you apparently have problems with, you know, putting hoodies on. Who wants to pull a hoodie off? Gabe, Gabe, you're here, right? We have a guest today, Gabe. We'll introduce you formally later. Uh, who wants to be a grown man in public yanking a hoodie off? in public it just never works right and then sometimes it gets part of your t-shirt no I, i'm i completely agree gets part of your t-shirt and then you're you're giving people a lot more than they're paying for yes okay i kind of because you know when you have the zip then you don't get the nice you don't get the the little pass-through pocket but okay oh no that's not even yeah it's and also when you live in southern california sometimes you got to take it off put it off and on several times a day so yeah the zipper is the only way to go but they're really classy. I you know, I love these shirts and hoodies because, you know, sometimes uh, podcasts put out things and they're kind of tacky looking. These are really classy. I'm really happy with them. And subtle. It doesn't say MPU on it. Somebody told me in Germany, MPUs are like a really bad thing. So that's good. All right. Yeah, I so, guess. I don't know what it, it has something to do with drunk driving or something. I'm not sure. But yeah. <laughs> Right. Either way, I'm glad we didn't do that. Um, the but. other thing we have is we have our glow T-shirt, which, again, has our infamous battery on it, a little bit bigger. But here's the thing. It glows in the dark. Oh, man. I, I bought one of each, Katie. I couldn't. I was right in. Good. Good. You should. So those are available to December 3rd. So get them while they're hot. They won't be available much longer by the time you hear this episode. So go grab them. 
but they glow in the dark. They do glow just, in the dark. Just think about that. How often do you get to get a glow in the dark T-shirt? As I wrote in my post at Max Barkey, eight-year-old me has decided that I made it now. I made it. My podcast is a glow-in-the-dark shirt. It just does not get better. All right. Well, I think we've done enough blatant self-promotion for now, right? Uh, I guess so. All right. Can we introduce our guest? We've, we've been rude neglecting him this long. Yes. Welcome back to the show, Gabe Weatherhead. Hello. Also known as Mac Drifter. That's me. For, formerly seen on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about Twitter. <laughs> Gabe is our resident Devin Think expert. Every time we need uh, have a problem with Devin Think, we bring Gabe in because he's the oh, guy who boy. gets by on it. I, I like that app. I do. But that's I not do the like reason it. you're here today because uh, you wrote a very interesting post and I read it and I'm like, well, this isn't the whole show, but this is something that I think a lot of people are interested in. Gabe is a serious Mac nerd. You know, I mean, he has a website called Mac Drifter. So that tells you, right? Uh, but he did an experiment recently. Uh, tell us about your experiment, Gabe. Well, I uh, I was actually going to get one of the new MacBook Pros with the touch bar and all that. And I decided to go all in and buy an iPad Pro 10.5. Um, I already had a 12.9 for my daughter and I liked it well enough, but it was too big. So I, I got the 10.5 and so I'm sitting here looking at this thing. I'm like, this is probably the future of computing for like somebody like my kid. She doesn't really interact with a computer like I normally think of a computer. Yeah, like I don't think my kids are going to be doing keyboard maestro. Yeah, I just don't see that. right. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't like being an old man. So I like to like resist the, my urges of being an, an old fuddy-duddy. So I decided I was just going to try and use only the iPad or my iPhone for anything that I had to do unless it was an emergency. Like I had to do something for my mortgage company or something. I'm not going to sacrifice my house out of this, this little experiment. But uh I stuck to it. And what was that like five months ago, six months ago when the iPad Pro came out? Yeah, that wasn't clear from your post. So you, you did it for five months. You went iPad only? Yeah, 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 that's right. I, uh, that's a long time of just using the iPad. And I really like the iPad, but it's still, it's still not for me very satisfying most of the time. Like it, it definitely feels like, uh, I've, I've made an agreement with myself to sacrifice efficiency and all kinds of other things for having this ultra portable little computing device. What I really do like about it is like the pencil, the pencil to me with, without the pencil, I probably would have far fewer uses for my iPad. I got to buy a pencil again. <laughs> Katie, you're not allowed to talk about a pencil until you own one. In fact, we're going to make a new rule. I used to own one. I'm sorry. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You you sold it, so you're out of the club. It's gotten better. The apps have gotten better. That, I think that's the real draw. Without, I mean, if you're not an artist who who cares about the art apps, but like just handwriting and sketching and making diagrams has gotten a lot better with some some apps on the iPad now. Okay, but Gabe, you ha you do have a Mac, right? I mean, I do. Yeah, I have a 2015 MacBook Pro 15 inch, which I love. It's like one of the best computers. According to Marco, that is the best computer. <laughs> yeah, I read that. Uh, it, it is wonderful. It's a very nice laptop. It, it it feels still very fast and modern, although I did have to reboot it to do this podcast. Um, but other than that, it, it's, a, it's a very nice retina display. Um, it's just, it feels big when you come back from using the iPad for five months. It feels huge, actually. 
Well, and there's different, like, on the spectrum, there's different levels of this stuff. You know, like, like, you know, Federico just doesn't use a Mac. He does everything on iPad. Um, while I do a lot on iPad, I use a Mac all the time, even just for background automation things, you know, Hazel, Keyboard Maestro, all that stuff that just happens. I mean, did you have that stuff running during the five months or were you manually sorting your documents? Well, so part of this was also trying to move into the future with a bunch of other things like photo management. I've at least in in my little bubble, I'm notorious for like not wanting to trust any company with my photos. I have a NAS running and I do my own backups and I extract everything and I put it on external drives and take them to my office and all this stuff. Cause I lost, I lost my uh, honeymoon photos and most of my wedding photos when I was, wow, that, you know, that hurt a bit. how many years ago? Yeah. It, it stunk. And that, that like sting still reminds me of like how important that kind of stuff is for reminiscing and just enjoying times with the people you care about. Right. Um, but I decided that part of this was I was being old by insisting to take care of all this myself i was being like stubborn i kind of agree with that side of you though i kind of i I know i know but the stuff works pretty good now i went all in on photos app i went all in on like icloud syncing um it that coincided with a couple things that happened conveniently i put that in, in quotes because it was like my nas died uh uh, Amazon cloud storage went away. Like all these things that I had relied upon evaporated and, and disappeared. So I had to either rebuild something from scratch or give up. And so I gave up on a bunch of bunch of that stuff that I was doing with thought, you know, particularly like Hazel. Hazel was the backbone of my photo archiving. It extracted all my photos and I put them on the NAS and put them in dated folders. And it, it was really wonderful to watch it run and do all the, all this magic. Uh, but it was also quite a relief to not even think about it. Like, did the NAS mount last night? Did it, you know, did the photos copy over? Nope. Oh, I gotta, I gotta go manually mount the drive so that Hazel can see it. And, you know, that kind of stuff I don't do anymore. Um, so a lot of that type of automation disappeared. I missed the other things that I do with keyboard. My, like I can take screenshots and annotate them so fast on my Mac and I can do that on the iPhone, but it's or on the iPad or iOS, but it's slower. It's more tedious and it's more purposeful. And I have to think a lot more about, oh, well, now I send it to this app and this app does this one thing. And then I send it over to this other app. And then eventually I save it in a way that I can put it in transmit so that I can put it on my FTP server so I can host it on my web host. And and it's possible. It's just really tedious. Wow, so you went deeper down the rabbit hole than I thought you did. You, you were you were really kind of an iPad only guy for five months. Yeah, it was rough in the beginning. The first couple months, I could do almost nothing. Like I, I could write, but very slowly. So, so what? Uh, where were the hard parts after five months? What are the parts that just couldn't fix for you? Um, there's very little that I can't do. There are some things where you have to be tricky where like my bank website won't show me the right version of the page because it even even though I, you know, fake my um my device ID to say that it's an, an a Mac, it still somehow doesn't give me the Mac version. So there's some banking stuff I couldn't do. And- Which browser did you use to spoof your uh 
Yeah. I like iCab. I like iCab a lot. That's real nice. Yeah, that's a, that's that's probably one of the best ones for that. So I guess what if you're listening and you've never heard of this before, sometimes you get on a website on your iPad and it just doesn't work. For instance, Google Docs. <laughs> you go in Google Docs and you want to track changes, which they decided not to put in their app. And if you go on via the website, they say, oh, you don't need the website. You're on an iPad. You can use our app, which we don't have the feature that you want. But you can use an app like iCap, and in the settings, you can say, pretend I'm a Mac or pretend I am something else. And then that'll fool Google Docs or Gabe's bank into thinking that they're seeing something else. And that's a way around a lot of web-based problems on your iPad. Yeah. On the on the flip side of that, though, it, it's nice having the apps that the, like banks make. The apps are, I think, much more efficient for doing the common tasks like, you know, the Bank of America app or whatever it happens to be to go in and just like, you know, deposit your check is really easy on an iPhone. You take a picture of it and it uploads and it's all done. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I typically use my bank's mobile app more than I use their website. But I, I guess it depends on what you're trying to do. There are probably some things you can only do through their, their yeah, site. Yeah, it's like they cut, they cut, like everybody, right? They, they cover the 80%. 80% of what you need to do with your bank, you could probably do through their app. But if you hit that 20%, that's it's real rough. But there was uh, not really anything I couldn't do on an iPad. So, I mean, that kind of myth of... Yeah, you know, there's this wall that you hit and you can't can't do stuff. That said, you know you know how I feel about some of the apps that enable these things on the iPad. If one app went away, things would change dramatically, right? Like if workflow went away, that would be a big problem. If transmit went away for FTP access, that would be a huge problem. Uh, because there's no other FTP app that is even close to as good as transmit. Yeah, and they keep talking about how they don't make any money on it. So you have to wonder if it's going yeah, to continue to. That's a little worrying to to rely so much on a narrow, like one application. Like workflow, workflow, I think is a great example because it it you know it does a huge amount, and there's it enables things that would otherwise be like, you know, 15 manual steps on the iPad. And no one wants to live that life. An amazing app. Amazing app. But it's one app. Yeah, it's one app. And <laughs> that got bought by Apple. And there's not many other alternatives if, if, it, if it goes away. So I, I'd also add the, the, one, the one area where it was surprisingly helpful was... Uh, for whatever reason, I'm not a security expert. I don't know about email certificates and, and all that good stuff. But like, I can't get work email on my Mac because they don't. My comp, my you know, my employer doesn't view it as a secure device. Whereas I can bring my own device to work if as long as it's an iPad or an iPhone. And then now I get Exchange email and my personal email and my personal calendar and my work calendar and all this on one device. So I found that that actually became something that. When I went back to my Mac, I, I wanted to check like my work calendar. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't have my work calendar here because this is not a trusted device as far as my employer is concerned. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by 1Password. Check them out over at onepassword.com slash MPU. So did you know that 1Password for 7 was recently released for iOS? And it has a ton of new features that you should know about. 
First off, if you have an iPhone 10, you definitely want to check out the new version of 1Password. The folks over at Agile Buds have completely optimized the new lock screen for Face ID. And let me tell you, it is pretty cool to unlock your 1Password with your face. They've also introduced a new feature called Quick Copy. Now, using 1Password is already pretty efficient, but sometimes if an app didn't support 1Password, you'd have to open up 1Password, find the login that you needed, copy your username, switch back to the app, paste it in, switch back to the app, you know, copy your password, switch back, and all that stuff. Well, with 1Password 7 now, all of that copying is done automatically. If you copy your username and paste it in another app, 1Password, as soon as you switch back to it, will automatically copy your password, and it will do the same with those one-time passwords as well. And they've also made some tweaks to their favorites. So there's now an, no faster way to access an item than adding it as a favorite. You'll see all the details that you want to copy. Just simply tap on one of the bubbles with all of the information and it will copy its value to the quick board. And of course, you can use quick copy on the favorite screens as well. So go learn more about 1Password, whether it's for you as an individual, whether it's for your entire family, or whether you want to use 1Password to support your team over at onepasswordcom MPU. And when you sign up for a 1Password membership, you know that you're always going to have the latest version of 1Password, whether it's on your Mac, whether it's on your iPhone, whether it's on your PC, whether it's on your Android device, and you'll be able to access your information anywhere that you are. So go check them out over at onepasswordcom MPU. And thanks to 1Password for your kind support of the show. You know, reading your posts, I, I could feel you. In fact, when I, I had no idea you were doing this experiment. I don't know how I missed it. I read your blog regularly, but the... Um, I didn't announce it. I tried not to make a big deal out of it, right? Because it's, uh, if it didn't go well, then it's not a very interesting story, but... Uh, but just knowing you kind of as a friend and, and as a, as a fan, I, um, I, I was thinking, of course it's not going to work for Gabe because he's way too smart on his Mac. You've been, you spend 30 years developing these great muscles on the Mac to do amazing things. It's, it's really hard to walk away from that. Oh man, I felt so good when I first, when I first let myself use my Mac again a couple weeks ago, I was like, I sat down to write and it was, I was just so much faster, right? Even with an external keyboard on the iPad, it's just, it feels more comfortable on my Mac the big screen maybe, or maybe the text editor. I don't know, but I wrote so much faster. I did everything faster. And in fairness, you've got 30 years of muscles exactly. uh, that, yeah. that, that are involved there. But I really think that, um, you know, because there's all these, these folks talking about, well, I can, I want to work on iPad only, or I want to work on Mac or, the, or you got people on the opposite side saying the Mac is way better and the iPad is useless. Uh, I really feel like, you know, if you can afford to have both an iPad and a Mac, you should probably have both because your initial thought, I think, is correct. I think this tablet stuff is the kind of future of computing, and that's where this stuff is heading. And we need to start learning it now. And it's fun to learn new things. I mean, people listen to this show. We listen to the show for a reason because it's it's kind of fun to geek out and figure out how to make this stuff work for you. And And this is just a whole new platform to do that in. But I also think it's a mistake to to get down this this road where it has to be one or the other. I think why not have it? Um, you know, why not use the best that the iPad can be good at and the best that the Mac can be good at? In fact, in fact, when you concluded your post, you talked about that and you know, share with us. You know, after this experiment, some of the things on the iPad that you feel like are a superior experience to the Mac, and vice versa. Uh, like I mentioned, the the pencil. And just stay with me, Katie. Here, um, the. Uh, I really like handwriting. I like paper. I like, you know, doodling with pencils and stuff like that. So that that's the one driver for me. But 
sitting in a meeting and taking notes on an iPad with a pencil, I, I felt it feels different. Like the people interpret what you're doing as, oh, you're taking notes right now. I can see that you're taking notes versus sitting behind a laptop screen typing. Maybe you're taking notes, maybe you're writing an email, maybe you're, you know, doing something else, checking your stocks. Uh, it, it wasn't clear. Plus the ability to like quickly draw a diagram and annotate that diagram with something, uh, it, it just saved a huge amount of time. Even if the handwriting piece is slower, which isn't always a problem to write more slowly, <laughs> honestly, um, and, and not care so much about typos and things like that, like I tend to do when I'm typing. Uh, that that's a real selling point for me. So I basically keep my pencil with my iPad all the everywhere I go now because it's just so easy. What are you using to do that? Are you um, using a case that has a pencil sleeve in it or something else? Uh, I got this. Oh boy, I'll have to. I'll send you the link. I got this thing off Amazon, super cheap. I'm like oh, less than ten dollars. It's a sleeve that goes over the pencil, which is mag seems to be magnetic. I, I don't know, and a little. Um, Ma like a ma magnetic strip that you can stick to your iPad. And so that kind of like holds the two together just enough that you can carry the iPad around with the pencil stuck to it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I've seen that. Yeah, I'll put a link to it. And it's, it's nice. It's, you know, again, cheap. Uh, I like how the, the pencil feels with the sleeve on it. Um, it's not going to hold it. Like if you threw it in your bag like that, it, the pencil would come off eventually, right? Um, it's not like rock solid, but it's good enough when I'm walking between meetings or something like that. And, and the other thing I've noticed is, you know, going into a meeting with an iPad now does not raise eyebrows. When I first got an iPad, everybody wanted to know what it was, blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, okay, he's just taking notes on digitally. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What apps were you using to take notes? I really, so the ink really matters to me. And while Apple's ink system is especially on the ipad the new ipad pro is like crazy realistic uh not every app uses that ink system the same way so i really like good notes and nebo uh, good notes is cool because you can kind of write anywhere on the page any any way you want you can draw diagrams there's no like separation of anything and then what you can do is you can select some text for example and you can say copy as and like export as text or copy as text so you can get the text back out um but its main purpose for me is like a almost like a steno pad like a pad of paper to to do all kinds of stuff on and i and it organizes them and it syncs them through i think icloud and uh syncs them to my iphone so i can look up notes it has it can it does text interpretation as you're writing um, behind the scenes. It must be saving the plain text because you can search your notes to like you can in Apple notes, um, which I don't tend to like for this kind of thing because it feels too like they've segregated off the sketch from the rest of the note too much, um, which is my big complaint about Nebo as well. Nebo is kind of magical in that it's really meant for handwriting. And if you just, write text, you can see it interpreting your handwriting as you're writing in kind of this little area above. Um, and then you can just export the entire document as plain text, which is pretty, pretty awesome. But if you want to put a diagram in, you kind of have to put a placeholder where the diagram is going to go in the middle of the page. And it, that just feels more awkward. So I spend most of my time in GoodNotes now. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm like just sitting there with my iPad, I will write like a Max Barkey post in Nebo. Just open it up and just write it <laughs> it's out. Cool, huh? right? if it, it feels slow, but it feels like I don't know, more thoughtful to me because I'm going more slowly. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, I enjoy I it. it. 
again, it's a, it's a process. I don't think I would write everything that way. I mean, I'm also really a big fan of voice dictation. I don't think you do that much, though. You're not into the voice stuff, are you? I'm too shy with my computer, I think. Every time I try to dictate, I, I start to stutter and stammer and forget what I was going to say. So I've tried many times. Nebo's a good one, though. But you're right. It's just for text. If you if you know something you want to write out and you want to do it longhand, Nebo will do the job. They also used to make a... Um, a keyboard that was that basically put the Nebo handwriting recognition across the bottom. Yeah, it's the MyScript keyboard. Do they not make that anymore? Well, they just haven't been developing it. It hasn't been getting updated, and Nebo works much better in my experience. Yeah, the, the, all the My MyScript stuff. I remember when those were coming out, like the MyScript calculator. Do you remember that? Where you could like, write math and it would do the calculation. That was kind of mind blowing, and it seems like they focused everything they learn from all of that into Nebo as, as its own app. Now Nebo does this thing where they want you to like sign in to some account or something for syncing or I don't know. I've never signed into whatever they're offering. I just always say ignore or cancel or whatever. Mostly because I don't want to send my notes to a third party. It does seem like there should be space though for a keyboard handwriting app because when I was using my script, and and also the the problem with my script is some of the but, button placement. It's very easy to have a problem the way they've got the buttons aligned um, to accidentally hit buttons. But like even just like writing OmniFocus tasks by hand felt really good to me. I, I don't really know how to explain it. You know, uh, I've always said that part of the advantage of the iPad is delight. And sometimes at the cost of productivity, I'm willing to pay that price. Not always, but sometimes. And um, And that delight of handwriting my tasks kind of felt like making a stronger commitment to finishing them. I, I totally agree. I do enjoy working on the iPad for the most part. Even even if something takes more steps, it tends to be kind of, I don't know, more fun a little bit. Like my Mac feels like I'm sitting down to accomplish something, you know, that's going to be bigger, or harder, or take more time. Whereas my iPad feels more like I'm sitting at the table and I just want to quickly doodle something i really do enjoy that i the, the, you know one of the reasons your post um sounded with me is i'm getting ready to take a trip and i've already decided i'm bringing a mac and there's just a couple reasons i mean i, I could probably get by with an ipad but there's a couple little software things i mean it's uh one of the big ones is microsoft word formatting because i format the stuff i write in microsoft word they don't support that on the ipad and um I just need to have a Mac available in case one of those things come up because it's something I can fix very quickly on the Mac that could be a big pain in the neck if I had to deal with it with just an iPad. And, and I, you know, I, I don't know, my feeling is stays the same. I think the iPad is something people should be willing to embrace and try, but it doesn't mean you have to give up your Mac if you want to try it, you know, be willing to dig in a little bit, but also know that you can still use your Mac and your Hazel and keyboard maestro and all that other stuff. I don't understand. And, and Gabe, I, I know you did this kind of for the sake of an experiment and, and for the sake of, you know, knowing that if nothing else, you, you would get this post out of it. I, I don't really understand why people feel that there's the need for this either or that it I have to be a Mac person or I have to be an iPad person. Because I can't imagine being either a Mac person or or an iPad person. Having just one or the other at this point would, would drive me absolutely crazy. And it, it seems like there's there's some feeling that it, you're either with us or you're against us. You're either a Mac or you're an iPad. And th there doesn't need to be this holy war between the 
the the two fractions. Um, I, I don't even think there needs to be factions. I uh, I'm just not sure. I, I feel like sometimes there's this extra stress that people put on themselves of, well, am an I am an I iPad person or am I a Mac person? But that I, I guess I just don't understand that. I think it's just a defense mechanism to kind of protect people. People go the, that way to protect their own identity, right? I'm I'm the person that really is into iPad, so therefore iPad is better than Mac and you shouldn't use Mac. I actually didn't choo- choose to do the experiment for that reason. It was actually a little guilt-driven because I chose to not get my daughter a real computer, a quote, real computer, right? I chose to get her an iPad and I was questioning whether I was being silly or whether or not... Uh, am I forward-thinking or am I crippling her? Yeah, exactly. And and I thought, well, you know, if I've I've saddled her with this is her only computer, is is it is her iPad, then, you know, I should be willing to say like, well, then it should be good enough for me, especially when I'm sitting here looking at new MacBook Pros, which I'm glad I didn't get a new MacBook Pro, to be honest. Um, I, at this point, I probably would get an iMac over anything else because I don't travel with my Mac, uh, like, like you mentioned, David, but uh, it was, it was more of like, am I out of step with with what the coming future is, or am I being holding to old ways because, Oh, I love keyboard maestro and I can't give that up. Well, I mean, that's, that's what they said about the uh, people who really love the rib, the type of ink ribbon they had in their typewriter when computers came. Right. And I think the good news is there's a transition going on here. It's going to take years and you can still enjoy both. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, my big concern is the sustainability of software. I think that's the that's going to make or break the iPad. If they can't figure out how developers can keep making money and the iPad slowly just drifts towards a low-end gaming device for, you know, free-to-play apps and stuff like that, I, uh, that really worries me seeing that professional development companies have a hard time making uh, profit off of apps. That I think that's a, that's a concern, right? Like Workflow has such, had such a huge following um, they were still acquired, right? And no one's come out with a competing app, as, as far as I know, even though that seemed like a good market, probably because it didn't make much money. And I, you know, I talked to other developers that are making cool apps and I tried to make an app as well. And I know how little they can make. And uh, that worries me for for the future of, of the iPad. I hope Apple figures that out and makes it more profitable. I feel like they need to make that question more of a priority. I think they've kind of been skating along with that. Um, there are exceptions, you know, the Omni Group and some of these companies that charge real prices and, and make really great apps. But it seems like most folks that try and do that can't make it. Which is t- too bad because it seems like a, one of the most approachable programming environments, although you can't really program on the iPad for, for the iPad. But. Maybe that's part of the problem. It's so approachable that... There's every app, there's a, you know, there's a dozen of them and, and at least cosmetically they look the same, even though those of us that, you know, spend time looking this stuff critically, um, know that it takes a lot of work. And the reviews are hard to, the reviews are hard to use. Like I don't really buy anything on the Mac app store anymore because I look for meaningful reviews elsewhere, but like on iOS, I do look at the reviews and I feel ashamed sometimes when I start thinking, oh, I'm not going to get this app because look, there it's only got four stars. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I should, I can't think like that, but it's, it's really hard not to, uh, when you're, when you're trying to spend money. 
Well, Gabe, thanks for sharing your experiment with us. I, like I said, I, uh, I, someone that's as dyed in the wool Mac as you are, I, I, th- I really wanted to hear your story when I heard that you had spent that much time working on an iPad. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So with going forward, what's your plan? I'm enjoying my Mac right now. I feel like I've been I've been away from it for a long time and sitting in, like I've I've been posting more often now, right? Because it's just easier to write. It's easier to take screenshots and annotate them and put them up on a server and all that's just easier. Uh, it's not as fun like I do like writing on on my iPad, but it's it's just I'm more proficient. So I'm enjoying that for now, but I'm going to wait and see what the iMac Pro looks like. I probably will get a new Mac in the next year, maybe. Uh, and because, you know, Apple Care is running out on this thing and I uh, I don't like being in that position. But uh, I would not I would not go with a MacBook Pro at this point. I don't think Apple's making good laptops right now. You're not alone. There's a lot of people upset. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years. They they've obviously chosen a path, and and they're they're there now. Uh, but but it'll be interesting to see what what changes they make because Apple has changed direction in the past. Do you remember their patent that came out? And I hate like thinking about future products based on patents, but this one struck me as just such a cool concept. It was basically, I think it came out like three or four years ago. It was have an iPad, slip it into basically a Mac that doesn't have a brain and the iPad becomes the brain for the Mac. But now all the peripherals... Wasn't basically like a service book? Kind of, yeah. And uh, I keep wondering now because the rumors out now are that A10 processors are going to be in the new iMacs and things like that. Like we're slowly getting one step closer to maybe the Mac is running on the same processors that the iPad uses. So maybe maybe in five, ten years that'll be... uh, more of the design where you have a device that becomes other devices. They sure are getting powerful. I'll tell you that. The, I, I like the iPhone 10. It's my favorite iPhone. It's awesome. So Gabe, what are you up to these days? Where can people find you? Oh, mostly they can't. You, <laughs> on Mac Drifter. That's another story. Uh, <laughs> on Mac Drifter. Uh, that's about it. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't frequent any other any other places right now other than email and, and Mac Drifter, which is a little little bit of a relief, to be honest. Uh, but uh, yeah, on Mac Drifter, I, I post there and I have like a sub site, Hobo Signs, where I usually, I don't really write. I just like post things I find. Um, so I, I tried to move all my linked posts off of Mac Drifter and just use that for actual writing. Um, but you can find them both over there. It's, uh, it's me. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And yeah, thanks for having me. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by OmniGraffle, my secret weapon for graphics. OmniGraffle is the Omni Group's diagramming tool, but it's so much more. I don't need to use graphics apps every day, but I do have plenty of use for one, if that makes any sense. My early attempts at using graphic tools were always failures because so often the software was too obtuse. OmniGraffle, however, is not. Using OmniGraffle's powerful but easily understandable tools, I'm able to not only make diagrams but also maps, flowcharts, chord exhibits, garden plans, and countless school projects. We even made our family Christmas card using OmniGraffle. If I'm doing something that involves moving pixels around a screen, OmniGraffle is my weapon of choice. 
OmniGraffle users range from artists to data mappers to even geeky lawyers, and the tools are fast and easy to learn. There are versions of OmniGraffle for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. I frequently hear from listeners that are OmniGraffle curious. They're interested in that app, but not sure whether or not it's something they need. My answer is always the same. If you have OmniGraffle, you'll find uses for it. It's one of those apps that just always has a place in your life. OmniGraffle makes the creation of graphics and diagrams manageable. Once you lower that bar of entry, you'll find all sorts of uses for it. They've got recent updates on both the Mac and iOS. Everything is cleaner and easier to use and access to Stencil Town, where you can import and use other folks' artwork in your diagrams is easier than ever. And let me just say Stencil Town is awesome. If you're lousy at drawing, but you want to have a nice little um, image to put into your diagram, most likely Stenciltown will have something for you. This is all made by the Omni Group, so everything looks great and works great. They've got some excellent demonstration videos on their website to help you get started. And best of all, there's a free trial, so you can download and try it risk-free. And that's all I think you should do. Just download it and put it on your Mac, spend an hour or two getting good at it, and then find all the amazing things you can do with OmniGraffle. So up your diagram game today with OmniGraffle. And thank you, OmniGroup, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. So, David, you, uh, we, were, we were talking to Gabe. Um, you said you're planning a big trip, but yet you're still planning on bringing a Mac. And uh, we usually start this segment with listener questions. So I'd like to chime in one of mine. Okay. Is that allowed? Sure, sure. Yeah. All right. So uh, tell me why. I'm curious. Well, after the holidays, we're going to Europe. It's uh, I talked about it earlier on the show. It's like all of the anniversaries and birthdays are all like this year work. And Daisy and I decide, okay, we're going to, before the kids disappear on us, we're going to take a family trip together. And uh, it's kind of funny how this works. Because my oldest daughter and my wife keep, they're, they've been working on this in the background. I kind of just gave it to them. And every time I talk to them, the trip I find is another day or two longer than I thought it was. So now it's closer to two weeks than it is to one week. And um, I'm going to be on this trip and I do have to work as well. I mean, that's, that's why I have the free agents podcast because, you know, I'm the president and broom pusher at both Max Sparky publishing and sparks law. So there's going to be some things come up while I'm gone. Um, the, the iPad, I wrote a post about this recently at Max Sparky. The, the iPad, when it first came out, the big hangup was, um, hardware. Actually, the big hangup was everything. When I wrote the book iPad at work so many years ago, I mean, the, the hardware wasn't fast enough. The operating system was kind of weak in a lot of ways. And then the software wasn't very good. But over the years, I mean, the hardware is, is fast. It's as fast as some of the MacBooks now. And the operating system is great. I mean, iOS 11 fixed so many problems that I had with it. And file management was the chief among them, where I can absolutely manage files and, and get by with an iPad. And, and like Gabe was saying, it's not always as fast, but it's it's good enough. But then there's some software where I run into these problems. And, you know, as a lawyer, one of the big things I do is I write contracts and I work on agreements with people. And everybody works in Microsoft Word. And I, one of my, I guess, failings is I want the documents to look nice. And I use styles in Microsoft Word. I use them in Pages too. But on for whatever reason, the team that implemented Microsoft Word on the iPad doesn't allow you to adjust styles. So if I want to say... Everything under heading one gets six point spacing underneath or 12 point spacing above. I just can't do that. And it sounds goofy, but if I'm on a trip and I'm trying to get something done, 
I don't want to have to VPN to my iMac from Europe to California to fix spacing on a contract, you know. And uh, yeah, I just started looking at there's, you know, two or three of these friction areas. And my daughter, you know, says, I'm not going to be using that MacBook for the trip. So she's going to let me borrow that. I'll kind of set it up before we leave. And it'll be fine. Now, now, you do still have a MacBook Pro, right? You do still have a laptop, right? Yeah, but I just don't want to bring it. You know, it's it's big and heavy. It's a 15-inch MacBook Pro. I don't want to, you know, carry it all through Europe. You know it's like a pound and a half heavier, right? It's not. Yeah, but it, it is more than that because the, the the physical size of it, like my backpack with a little MacBook in it is much easier than a backpack with a 15-inch MacBook in it. And so... Uh, I don't think I'm going to use it much, but I decided ultimately I I, I don't want to try and prove a point that I can do this with an iPad and then end up spending like three extra hours doing something where I could be with my family because I decided to prove a point. You know what I mean? So that's it. I mean, the the technology wise, the trip is easy. I'm not giving any presentations. So it actually the stuff I'm bringing isn't as much as I normally would. But the uh, uh, but it it is uh, the decision to be to bring a Mac has been made, and I'm going to do that as lightly as possible, and I'm bringing a Mac. That's all. All right. Well, let's let's move on to some other listener questions. We we do have a question from Steve, who wants to know how we control email spam. This this is something that used to be a huge deal, and um, I, I don't know. For me, it's just become less and less of an issue, I, but. Uh, I, I guess I am doing things to control it, um, but or I guess I'll start with you. Or you, because I do have a, a funny story. Uh, are you doing anything actively to control email spam? Um, you know, I, I use iCloud for you know my personal stuff, and then I use the um, third-party services for my legal and Max Sparky, and all of them have built-in spam controls, and they have been working good enough for me. I, I have not been using SpamC for a while. It's something we used to always pray SpamC on the show. I have not installed it or used it now for several years. So, though I do still recommend it if you if you just have an uncontrollable email problem. Yeah, if it's a problem, SpamC is the solution. Um, I will tell you that that like you, David, I, I still have a license to spam sieve. Is it spam sieve? Spam sieve? I don't. Know. I used it for for many many years. I still strongly recommend it. It it was the solution. Um, I don't use it anymore because I've just found that spam has become less and less a problem for me because my my cloud providers tend to take care of it. Um, I use iCloud for my personal email. I use Google Apps for my work email, and I found that Google does a really good job of of filtering through email spam. Yeah, that's always been true. They've always been good at it. And one of the things that I think helps um, is I do have a Gmail address that, although I don't use Gmail as my personal email, I do have a Gmail address that is the, the address that I use like whenever I sign up for something, you know, if I, if I sign up for an online account or if I'm giving my email address to, to let's just say to someone who's not a person, you know, um, the, the, the Gmail address is the address that I use. And then I have that Gmail address forward to my, um, iCloud address. And when I, whenever I have occasionally had to go into that Gmail account for something, like maybe I've had to reply from that Gmail account, there is a ton, a ton, a ton of spam in that Gmail spam filter. But I don't, you know, obviously I don't even see that. I don't even have that forward on. So I think by just giving my iCloud address to actual humans um, and putting that Gmail spam or that Gmail address as a, as a layer for me, for, for anything automated that I sign up for, I think that has been tremendous. Um, I, 
I, I noticed I was helping my grandma with her, with her iPhone. And uh, my grandmother has an iPhone. She's um, in her mid eighties and she wanted an iPhone because she wanted to be able to text with her family because that was a big deal. And she wanted to be on Instagram, but she gets a few emails like from the church and, and people that she wants emails from. But she also loves to sign up. She gives her email address to everybody. And she has a ton of spam. It is ridiculous the amount of spam she gets. But she has an AOL email address. And um, because she, for many, many years, AOL, before she got her iPhone, AOL was the internet for her. And I cannot get her to get rid of her AOL email address. Because that's that's the email address that she wants to use. And I've tried. So what I did behind the scenes, you know, sometimes just when you're family tech support, you do things and you don't tell anybody what you do. I um, get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, I behind the scenes set her up a Gmail account and I went in and I have all of her mail now filtering through that Gmail account. And I have her AOL address set up as an authorized sender on that Gmail account. Gotcha. So she's actually using Gmail for her mail but sending from that AOL address in Gmail. Did it take care of the problem? It's it's dramatically helped. So that might be something I just, I give that tip out there for people. I, I guess related to spam, I would talk about the issue of bacon and that's the, uh, the, the friendly spam, you know, from the companies you buy from. Isn't that bacon with a K? You know, I think it may be, uh, but, but the, uh, you know, the idea is you, you have a relationship with a company and then they start sending you things. I talked um, in the gift episode about jet pens. I buy pens from them occasionally. But I don't really care about their advertisements and when they've got to sell. You know, I buy pens once a year or so, so I don't need to keep. And I just noticed I I got more of those, so I hit the unsubscribe button. A couple things you can do to help yourself with that. Number one is in Apple Mail, make a smart group that looks for emails that include the word unsubscribe. And um, it's a, it's a great way to grab all the kind of the bacon in your life. And just say, okay, I'm going to take, you know, 15 minutes here and unsubscribe from a bunch of stuff that, you know, they're vendors that I've done business with, but I just want to hit the unsubscribe button. Now, don't do that from vendors you've never heard of before, because from the, those are probably spammers. And by hitting the unsubscribe button, you're actually just confirming there's a human there and you're going to make it worse for yourself. Yeah, that's what you use the same black hole for. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that that's the same box is next. But I, I think that, you know, for people that you kind of have a relationship with, there's nothing wrong with unsubscribing from them all. And, and they all abuse it too much. I mean, even some of the vendors I like, I feel like they all send me way too much email. Um, uh, the other thing is SaneBox, which is, I know, a paid-for service and a sponsor. But having SaneBox really kind of puts that stuff to the back shelf anyway for me, so I barely look at it. But yeah, it, it is kind of nice. I hadn't really thought about it until Steve wrote in, but but spam really is not much of a problem for me anymore. But it definitely is a problem for other people, for a lot of people. So uh, I think it's something we still need to be mindful about. Um, since the last show, we had many people write in. Uh, um, there was a show where I we talked about like iOS utilities, I think. And I have an app or had an app that I was using for um, taking screenshots and putting the little um, the iOS frame around it to make it you know look like a screenshot on an iPhone. And, and that app um, was no longer sold. And then when iOS, I think uh, when, anyway, with one of the iOS 11 updates, uh, it stopped working completely. So people said, well, what are you doing to, to now make pretty screenshots? So screenshots with, a, with an iPhone frame around them. And um, Jordan Merrick 
this solution, of course, comes courtesy of Rose, created a workflow um, based on a based a workflow workflow um, that uh, will now frame your screenshots. So um, I, I'm going to I can't explain it. It 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 is smarter. So he it was just brilliant. I don't understand how he did it, but it was amazing. Basically, what he did is he grabbed the um, the the images from from Apple's developer website and uses the a workflow action and Voodoo to put them all together. But it, just look at the link if you're interested in it. Just download all the stuff. It explains it. Makes it a lot easier. There's several of these out there now, and um, yeah, this is just one more thing you need workflow to pull off. <laughs> The app building uh, tinker tool kit or whatever you want to call it. Um, well, I sure hope whenever they do what it is they're doing at Apple that it has this level of um, of options to it. Um, uh, Helmer wrote in with uh, uh, questions about tentative appointments. I thought this was a good note. She says she's frequently asked to participate in a project meeting with people from different companies. So they use software to invite participants. And she said, how do you track these appointments in your calendar? Uh, she had the habit of adding an appointment with a question mark in front of it. That's what I do too, by the way. And uh, she wasn't sure how it'll go. She says that's fine for a single appointment where the date is not set or even when it's an appointment that doesn't change in time, but where I need to decide to participate or not. And uh, and she said there's a list of possible dates that either result in a single appointment or all rejected by the new attempt. If I don't put anything on the list, I've forgotten about it and booked the slot by the time and date is finalized. If I put all of them on my calendar, I won't be able to add anything until they've come to a decision, and then she has more problems. So, Katie, how do you solve this problem? I hold my calendar for no one. Wow. So, I, I think what yes, I think what Helm is talking about is uh, so like a doodle. Is this what we're talking about? Is like a doodle invite? Yeah. So you and I both use and recommend a, a service called Doodle. And what that does is it saves the gazillion emails that go back and forth when you want to schedule an appointment with a group of people instead of, you know, picking from a bunch of dates. You just you lay it all out in Doodle. People respond if they're available or they're not. And the meeting um, organizer picks the date that's best for most people and life goes on. I, I think the answer is it depends on the type of, of meeting. Uh, I would say that the onus of part of this, and I know you can only control other people to so much of a degree, but I think when, when people are trying to schedule meetings with multiple people, the onus is kind of on them. If you're asking people to hold multiple dates, um, you, you've got to be quick about scheduling. You've got to set a deadline for people to respond. You've got to pick a date quickly, and then you've got to get back to people. My general policy is I send out the email, I set a deadline, usually no more than 48 hours in a, uh, ahead of time, and um, I, I pick the date, and whoever can come, comes. Um, I don't hold dates on my calendar unless it is something that is super important that I absolutely know that I have to be at this meeting. And so then I, I don't have my calendar cluttered with a bunch of tentative appointments. So I'm very selective about when I'll hold a date open on my calendar. And if something changes either because the meeting organizer took too long to pick a final date for the meeting um, or, you know, someone snaked in and scheduled an appointment. Um, that's unfortunate, but it happens rarely. Yeah, I am. Uh, so, so there's two kind of scenarios here. The one is multiple people and, and I do doodle invites for that. And when I send the invite out, I say, you know, that the availability I've, I've provided is only good for a couple of days. So 
sometimes we get to the end if it takes two people uh, it takes people too long to answer the doodle and then i'm no longer available i'll just send it out and say well i'm no longer available so i won't go but you guys can do it at this time and day and then uh the one-on-one meeting which is far more frequent for me i don't i don't normally have to wrangle a lot of people into a meeting um i do put it in my calendar i do hold the meeting i use the question mark trick um and i I'll, i'm very um it's, it's remarkable to how, how often this works. When someone says, well, we should meet, I say, okay, how about next Tuesday at 11 a.m. at California Pizza Kitchen? You know, and I just send the entire meeting, you know, and then I put it, you know, I set it up in, um, in the calendar with a question mark in front of it. And it seems like nine times out of 10, they're okay with whatever I suggest. And that saves you the trouble of, okay, uh, Tuesday, okay, how about next Wednesday or where, then where do you want to eat and what time do you want to meet at? I just, I lay the whole thing out in the, the original email and it's, it's amazing to me how often, uh, uh, by far the majority of the time people just accept whatever I send them. And then you get what you want, which is all you really wanted. And, and interesting, the times that they can't accept it, it's like you're setting the precedent. So the, the, the times they can't accept, they'll, they'll often write back with the same amount of detail. They'll say, well, I can't do it then, but how about Thursday at such and such a place at, you know, one thirty. And that's fine with me too. I just want to get it done. And um, that's how I handle it. Uh, we had somebody write in. We didn't get their name, so we'll just call them anonymous, who wants to know how long they should keep a hard drive. Uh, their story is um, they took their dad's MacBook to the Apple store um, and they and the Apple store diagnosed the issue as a failing hard drive. This particular computer was bought in 2008. So this is a machine that's nine years old. It doesn't surprise me that that hard drive is failing. And the writer is wondering if they should look at their machine that was bought in 2012 and wonder if it needs a new hard drive or perhaps they should just buy a new computer instead. Well, Apple would like that. Apple would like that very much. So let, let me let me tell you my general rule of thumb. Um, my general rule of thumb is I treat every hard drive as though it is dying. And, and it, a one-day-old computer. It, yeah. Every single hard drive that I come across in my life is is opt to die at any moment. In fact, the, the hard drive on the computer that I'm talking to you right now on uh, could could die in the next 30 seconds. And I and I treat every machine as that way. Just like us humans, we're <laughs> all <laughs> the end is determined. Just the question is when just boom. Um, now, now, of course, there there are probabilities and there are likelihoods. Uh, certainly a machine from 2008 is much more likely to to have a hard drive die um, than a than a machine that was just bought yesterday. But um, I, I would tell you my to be prepared for a hard drive failure at any time. And that's why we have preached backup, 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 backup. Um, and uh, not just one backup, but two backups, whether it's an offsite and a local or, or whatever you want to do. But the same, you know, all that being said, there's no reason to run out and replace a 2012 hard drive for no reason. So long as you've got a good system in place. Keep using it until it gives you a reason not to need it anymore. You certainly don't need to buy a new computer. If, if your computer is otherwise serving your needs, I, I think there's no reason to go buy another one. And, and keep in mind that, re- especially on a 2012 computer, that's probably in, not a really hard replacement to make. I mean, well, it depends. It depends on the t- yes, it depends on the type of computer. But um, replacing a, a hard drive in a in a 2012 MacBook or a, a 2012 Mac Mini or you know, I mean, it depends on the machine. But the, the newer the machine, the harder it is to replace a hard drive yourself. 
you know, and especially if you're thinking, maybe I'll just go buy a new computer anyway, what do you have to lose? And the other thing I would say is if you're thinking that, wow, this, this hard drive is now five years old, I should be a little worried about it. There are tools out there to diagnose the drive. Yeah. You just made a funny noise. I did. I'm sorry. It was the hard drive. Yeah. <laughs> but even just like booting into disk utility and doing a check on the disk or, or what I recommended to this listener was if you live near an Apple store, just take it in and say, Hey, could you just run a diagnostic on my computer? You know, check my hard drive and just see how it's, it's five years old. Just let me know if you see anything funny in there. And it give you a little bit of a warning sign. But with SSDs, a lot of times you're not going to get a warning sign. It's just going to stop working one day. I don't trust any of those hard drive test tools. The only thing I would say, if your hard drive test is fine, that means nothing. If your hard drive test is dying, it's probably dying. Yeah, but I mean, if it tells you, I guess a positive result is not necessarily determinative, but the, a negative result should be giving you some data that you didn't otherwise have. Um but, but yeah, just keep using the computer, have a good backup in place. And when it does die, replace it. Or if you want to buy a new computer, buy a new computer. But, but you don't need to do this um, proactively. This episode of Mac Powered Users is sponsored in part by Timing, the smarter way to track time. Time is probably your most precious resource. You need to know how you're spending it. But manual time tracking interrupts your workflow, and it's really, really easy to lose track of. I can tell you, as someone who has to build their time for a living, despite the fact that that's actually how I make my living, it is really, really hard. And I'll tell you what, timing is different. It automates your time tracking and saves you as much time as possible. The key is it automatically tracks how you spend time on your Mac. It is broken down by app, by website, and by document. But that's a lot of data to go through, and you don't have that kind of time, right? Well, timing lets you use drag and drop rules to automatically categorize your time. It understands that not all of the work you do happens on your Mac, and that's why it automatically suggests that you fill in gaps in your timeline so that you never forget to track things like meetings or phone calls. And it will even automatically ask you what you did when it senses that you've stepped away and you've come back to your Mac. Timing is available now on SetApp, or you can download it directly for the Timing website. I've been using Timing for several months now to capture my time, and I can tell you it has paid for itself over and over and over again. I love that it runs in the background, that I don't even have to think about it. And when it comes time for me to do my billing every month, if I look at something and think, hmm, I don't quite have all my time there, I just go back into Timing, look at my categories that I've set up, and it tells me exactly how much time I've spent on something, and I find hours of untracked time. So you can download the 14-day free trial by heading to timingapp.com slash MPU and even save 10% when you purchase it. So check out Timing and stop worrying about time and focus on doing your best work instead. Thanks again to Timing for their support of Mac Power users. Our next question comes from Carlos, who wants to know what are our best tips for finding deals this holiday season? Because as we release this episode, we are going to be in peak holiday shopping time. All right, Katie, this is your this is your wheelhouse. Yes, I, I have a couple. Um, first off, I'm a I'm a big fan of Camel Camel Camel. Um, Camel 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 is uh, primarily it's an Amazon price tracker. So if you copy the URL or just type in what you're searching for on Amazon into Camel, 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 it will give you charts and graphs and tell you 
Um, th th this is the average price for this product. This is a good deal for this product. Show you graphs of, of what the price has been. And, and to be clear, is that's a website or an app? No, it's a, it's a website. CamelCamelCamel.com. Are you not aware of Camel Camel Camel? Well, I was just trying to make it easy for. Okay. I was just it's, trying it's, to lead you. That was the leading question, counsel. Okay. okay. All right. Sounds like you didn't know about Camel Camel Camel, but that's fine. Um, but and then the other thing it will do is it will send you alerts. So if you say, "Hey, I'm looking for the the BB-8 Sphero toy, uh, and I want the best deal I can possibly get on it," we'll say, "Hey, the best deal that you've ever seen on the BB-8 Sphero toy is this this dollar amount." Um, and this is how often it, it hits this price. You can say, okay, well, send me an email alert when it hits this price. And it will do that. Now, there are a lot of plugins, particularly for Chrome. If you use Chrome, not as many for Safari. I think the Tractor, like Tracker, but Tractor is, is one of them. Um, but there are a lot of plugins that you can use um, to, to track deals, particularly on Amazon. Uh, Price Tracker is an iOS app. Uh, that will will track deals and notify you by push notification of of Amazon prices that that meet certain criteria, and then there are a couple of Twitter accounts that you you probably want to follow depending on what you're looking for. I'll tell you, I'm a big fan of the Wirecutters deal site because I think they they cut through a lot of the fud and and get right to the point of what is a good deal, but more importantly, a good deal on good stuff. That's the big thing about Wirecutter is they don't give you the deals on junk. So you don't you don't get down the you know the wrong path. Um, so that's those are my big ones. And then if you're specifically looking for stuff like their iTunes gift cards, um, you know, Twitter accounts and things like that 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 you can look at. But th those are those are kind of my big ones. Um, and then Deal News is a, a longtime website that if I'm looking for something particular, I'll I'll go to. But um, those are those are kind of my biggies. What what do you what do you look at, David? No, I I I I saw your recommendation. I think they're fine. I I don't really have. We talked about Camel 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 every year, and that's the one I use too. And honestly, so much of the shopping I do is at Amazon anymore. That that's that in my mind is the one place you go. And the wire cutter and the Sweet Home, which is the wire cutter, is a company website. They they have deals on that. No, they're they're all merged together now on the wire cutter, or just wire cutter. It's just wire cutter. No more the. Oh really? I thought I just went on Sweet Home recently. Yeah, they they merged. Well, I think all the information is still there, but they merged. Okay. Well, anyway, Wirecutter is great, and uh, the, and I've never been really steered wrong by their recommendations, so it's a good place to go. And um and you know what? Follow some blogs too, because uh, a lot of people um some of the some of the big Mac websites do a good job of tracking. Like I think Nine to Five Mac does one where they look up deals every week and they they get themselves in on the um affiliate tracking and and stuff. So it helps them out too. But you know some websites really scour the internet for Apple related stuff. But I, I do find that a lot of it is is unnecessary. You know so. <laughs> It's easy to don't get something just because it's half off. You know, I guess everybody knows that, though. Yeah. And, and I will say that right now the wire cutter is re recommending a um, a $72 electric kettle. Oh, really? Yes. For your for your French press needs. Well, Katie Floyd, I, I will tell you that mine was $24 and works just fine. But, you know, if you want a super fancy electric kettle, there you go. Yeah, I got mine at Target. So it's not, it's <laughs> not the uh, and it works fine. Um, Gail wrote in and she says, I just got my yearly charge for iTunes music match. I also have an iTunes family plan. Is there a need for both? Probably not. Uh, it, it depends how you use it. I can tell you once we got the iTunes family plan, 
Uh, everybody in my family very quickly migrated our individual libraries to just downloading stuff from iTunes music or, or Apple music, I guess. And um, so even stuff that I had already purchased and ripped over the years, I just downloaded it through Apple music. It's just as easy. And frankly, I think kind of having less interchange between the stuff you've ripped and the stuff that you're downloading from Apple music makes management a little easier. So if that's the way you're using Apple Music, then you can cancel your iTunes music match. Uh, if you are using a ton of stuff that you rip that's not on Apple Music and you want to have that available to you, uh, that's the reason to keep it. But I think for most people, it's not necessary to have both. Jared wants to know about external hard drives. Uh, he noted that I'm backing up my Synology to an external hard drive that I connect to my Mac so that it then gets backed up to the cloud by Backblaze. Uh, yes, that's what I do. I use a carbon copy cloner, or you could use um, any of a number of tools that do this, but basically it takes all the data on my Synology. Uh, once a week, it clones that over to a big USB hard drive that I've just got. David would say Velcro to the bottom of my desk. Mine's just, you know, in a drawer that's still connected to my hard drive, but that's fine. Um, and um, uh, Gerald wants to know, is that hard drive encrypted? Yes. Yes, it is. And if so, how? Um, I just used Apple's encryption. Um, I, I encrypted check it a box. with the OS. Yep. And uh, and that, that seems to work just fine. And he says, I'm planning to purchase a four terabyte hard drive. Which brand do you suggest? Honestly, it, if if it's a hard drive that's going in a NAS, um, I I like the the red drives, the the Western Digital red drives. I've I've had good luck with those in my NAS, or like the Iron Wolf drives from I think it's Seagate that makes those. Um, but otherwise, if it's just a hard drive that you're using for backup, I would say stick with a name brand and find one that's on sale and and does everything that you want. Um, I, camel, I had, camel, 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 camel. Yeah, I've had reasonable good luck with with Seagates. I've had some Western Digital drives. Uh, you know, if, if you want, Backblaze has these drive reliability studies that they do, and I think they release them once a quarter. But I, I think the big thing is, you know, like anything, you can have a bad run of drives. But I, I think you know, pick a name brand, pick a drive that works for you, and you know, hopefully get a good deal on it. I usually get. I like to have two. I think what I'm reading of Gerard correctly, he wants to have not a NAS, but just a, a big hard drive he can back everything up to. Um, I really like the idea of having two of them. So if you can swing it, you know, financially, get two. And and this is just a weird thing, but I buy two different brands when I do this. Like if I'm, I'll get a Western Digital and a Seagate, you know, and the idea is they're not, definitely not coming from the same batch, you know, so if there's something wrong in that batch, I'm not going to get two bad ones. And then I just rotate them, which is a, a really nice solution. Like I, I use, um, so I have the one Velcro to the bottom of my desk. That's kind of the main drive, the main backup drive. And then I have this other one that I keep hidden in the house and then I pull it out every once in a while and I use, um, Chronosync to, to do a kind of an organized sweep and copy onto that extra drive. But, but if you're going to do this Gerard and it is just not a, not a Synology or not a Drobo, but just, just an attached drive, I would recommend getting a second one as well. And it's really nice knowing that you've got that stuff backed up in a couple extra places. Yeah. And I'll, say, I'll tell you, I don't know if you have a, a thought on this, the, the small portable external hard drives, the two and a half inch drives now are within just a couple of dollars, like for a four terabyte drive as the three and a half inch, the big drives. Well, that's why I, I have the smaller ones. They're USB powered. You just plug it in. And those are nice because you don't have to fiddle with, with power cords. You don't have to, 
um, worry about power. You just plug them right in. They take up less space. And as someone who's just been through a lot of hurricanes, we're going to do our disaster preparedness show. I think next show is disaster preparedness, if I recall correctly. Um, it's really nice to be able to stick a hard drive in your pocket and walk out of your office and say, I have everything that I need if this place floods tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, Matt wrote in with the most important question of this episode, really. What does Katie think of Star Trek Discovery? So um, I will admit I was a skeptic. Uh, I initially kind of crossed my arms and said, I don't like anything to do about this. I dislike what CBS is doing, and I'm not going to pay for CBS All Access because that's just not how we do Star Trek here. And um, I watched the pilot, and then I signed up for a you know, one month or one week free trial of CBS All Access. And I did it kind of midweek so that I could, you know, get the get two episodes and, you know, really get the most bang for my buck. Working the system. Working the system. Yeah. You know, just always thinking, always thinking about that. And uh, I will tell you, I really like Star Trek Discovery. Um, the, the, the first four episodes, uh, the, the, you know, um, but it, it, it got so much better. And, um, I I am really enjoying it. I, I I am interested to see how they how they kind of reincorporate everything so that everything's right where it's supposed to be when 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 Kirk and Spock show up. But because um, you know this takes place about ten years before Kirk and Spock. Oh really? So I, I I don't know anything about it. I'm going in cold. Okay. Yeah. Well, this this takes place about four years or ten years before Kirk and Spock, and you know obviously this is this is a television show. That was made super high budget, um, you know, 40 years, 40, 50 years later, 40 years later after the original series. So uh, let's just say, you know, the 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 technology in Star Trek Discovery is far beyond the the technology in the original series. Um, and they got some explaining to do about um, how how that's going to going to meet up like um hmm i don't i don't remember them having um hollow characters in the original series or maybe maybe they did maybe we just didn't see them you know that maybe that wasn't a thing or you know i don't remember these things happening in the original series i, I won't spoil it for those of you who haven't seen it but um the short version is is i am paying for cbs all access and uh i'm glad it got renewed for a second season and it is my favorite thing to do on a sunday night when cbs all access works Maybe Starfleet just just took away Kirk's hollow privileges because he's such a playboy. Could be, could be. He doesn't get to use it. You never know. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I'm going to watch it once it gets off of a subscription service. But you know, but I everybody I know that that like Star Trek seems to like it, so I'm looking forward to it. I expect that it will be available on iTunes, like you know, maybe in the spring or or summer, and you can just buy the buy the season. Um, you, you'll probably be able to buy it cheaper than what we've all paid to watch it over you know over the course of several months but of course you'll you know you'll have the time but i'm missing out on the excitement but you know it's, but it's uh, good it's all good yeah in fact i i will probably buy it when it becomes available on itunes just because you know i'll i'll want to watch it again i i've bought a lot of the star wars stuff and i just want to be able to watch it whenever this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by jamf now Manage your Apple devices from anywhere and get your first three devices for free. Just go to jamf, J-A-M-F dot com slash MPU. When you first start your business, it's pretty easy to keep track of your own computer and phone. But as you grow and start to build more tech for your employees, it gets harder to keep track of everyone's Macs, iPhones, and iPads. 
Then trying to figure out how to secure the iPad that your sales rep just lost can be tough, especially when you're all in different locations. That's where this week's sponsor, JamfNow, comes in. JamfNow makes this and a whole lot more much easier. With JamfNow, you can configure settings, protect sensitive information, and even lock or wipe a device from absolutely anywhere. This is stuff that used to require expensive IT support and lots of fancy software, but not true anymore with JamfNow. Small businesses can do all their mobile device management right through this platform. JamfNow secures your stuff so you can focus on your business instead. There's no IT expertise needed. I've been using this, you know, playing around with it. It's really powerful and it's really easy. If you've got a small business where you've got multiple people using iOS devices and Macs, you should have this service. And because you listen to the show, you'll be able to start securing your business immediately by registering your first three devices for free. After that, you can add more, just two bucks per month per device. Don't just take my word for it. Go check it out. We've heard from several listeners that after one of these ad spots set up Jamf now and they're super happy with it. You can find out more and create your free account today at jamf.com slash MPU. That's J-A-M-F dot com slash MPU. Manage your Apple devices from anywhere with Jamf now. So, David, we got some um, feedback from a couple of shows, and so we'll we'll try to include some of that here. Um, but I think you've had some experience with remote presenting with iOS and the iPad Pro, and Barrett wrote in with his experience and said that there's really no good remote to use with the iPad Pro and iOS 11. He says this, the Satichi Smart Pointer um, is is probably the best. That's a Bluetooth Smart Pointer. Um, but I know that you've had some experience with that, and you, you've also had some issues with Bluetooth smart pointers. Can can you tell us what, what is the current state of things? Yeah, I'm having trouble getting the Satichi stuff to work. And I've heard mixed reports from listeners. Some are getting it to work, and others are not. And I don't know if it's just different revisions of the hardware. Mine is some of the original stuff they've done, and maybe the Bluetooth radio changed or something where I cannot get it to work. I've sent an email to them. I haven't got any straight answers yet. Um, so like I had spoke about this on a, sh- on a, the last uh, feedback show. And I had to go back and edit the show, frankly, before the show published, because I thought it would work. I went and tested it and it didn't. And, and so it's mixed results now. And it's just not a good situation, frankly, because if you're going to give a presentation off your iPad, you need a remote that you can rely upon. I think what I have to do is probably buy one of the newer ones in order to get it work. But I, I don't want to say that until I've confirmed that. So this is kind of an ongoing thing. If you've got a Satichi remote, a uh, Bluetooth remote, try it. In fact, let me know if you have, because right now my pool of information is from about six different listeners, but I bet there's more people out there. Um, just drop me a note. I can't promise I'll reply, but I will be reading all this stuff. Tweet them, tweet them. Yeah. Tweet it. That would be good too. Um, but it seems to me like there's some inconsistency in which ones work and which ones don't work. They definitely were the best ones up until iOS 11. And I don't know if something changed in iOS 11 or I just don't have a straight answer as to what the problem is, but they are not consistently working. Um, so, so I don't have a good answer. And speaking of, of tweeting, um, John sent you a note to say that when you're presenting, you want to use um, gaffers, gaffers tape. Yes. That was the best advice. I, I received that advice, email tweets from a lot of people. Uh, wh- when I talked about what's in my toolbox, I mentioned I had some duct tape that I've kept in there for ages. 
And everybody just cringed. They're like, don't use duct tape on, you know, carpet and floors of people that you're presenting at. And uh, I hadn't really used it for a long time, but, you know, I have attached that duct tape to courtrooms all over California. And now that I think about it, that was a terrible idea. <laughs> Hopefully you spelled out your name with the duct tape so that they, yeah, exactly. they know where to find you. <laughs> exactly. Gaffer's tape is a much less destructive material to use for that. And I have officially pulled my duct tape out. Next time I have to go somewhere, I'll get some gaffer's tape for it. Or even just painting masking tape would be, you know, I mean, there's a lot of better solutions than duct tape. Yeah. Painter's tape doesn't always stick so well, but we'll see. Um, Bud wrote in to tell us that he found that when he updated to High Sierra, that he had dramatically improved the battery life on his 13-inch MacBook Pro. Um, I, I did not necessarily notice this, but Bud purchased an i7 13-inch MacBook Pro. Now, he had the Rev 2. I, I only had the Rev 1. And Bud said that he was getting extremely poor battery life. He Instead of getting the 8 to 10 hours that he was promised, he was only getting 2 to 5. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, probably, honestly, 5 was about normal for, for me. Um, probably not 8 to 10. Sometimes I could push it a little longer. And he was pretty disappointed with that. Um, and Bud said that he knows that machine was was constantly heating up and, and running the fan on very, very low loads. But when he, inst- in fact, so much so to the point that he was considering returning it. But once he installed High Sierra, he now says that he's getting 10 plus hours of battery life and is now in love with his 13 inch MacBook Pro. And his his thought is that perhaps um, Sierra did not handle the i7 uh, KB Lake architecture very well and something like that got fixed in High Sierra. I guess that's possible. I, I have not seen reports of this anywhere else. I mean, I think it's also possible that something just in the upgrade process, you know, cleared a cache or reset something or, or did something that may have also improved this. Uh, I have not noticed any problems with High Sierra on my 13-inch MacBook Pro, um, but I also haven't noticed significantly better battery life either. So, well, yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's not any worse, but I, I, I just haven't noticed significant change one way or the other. I'd bet a nickel that in Bud's case it was both. I think that um, Apple is always working on battery life on this stuff. I mean, that's a huge priority for them. I mean, one of the biggest reasons to use Safari over Chrome is the dramatic increase in battery life it can make on your laptop. And so I'm sure that High Sierra has some battery improvements, but I also think maybe when they did the install process, they may have fixed some problem that he had particular to his device. Um, and Bud does say that he was using it pretty lightly with a lot of web browsing. And I, I also note that um, Safari 11 was a big change with High Sierra. And one of the big features there was significantly improved battery life with with the new version of Safari. Um, we did the show with Austin Mann a few weeks ago about photography. Um, the um, couple people wrote in. Uh, one of them wrote in and said that Austin had said he uses old iPhones as an extra light when he's shooting. You know, like he'll set it up as a white light or a blue light or a, a warm light. Uh, I didn't ask him. I didn't have the presence of mind at the time to ask him how he does that. But my guess would be that he's picked a, a series of colors and just saved them to the Photos app. And they asked, well, how do you display that? Do you need a special app or, you know, how do you do that to display a white screen on the phone? I think it's just a series of photos apps, uh, a series of photos, uh, images, you know, like screenshots. 
And you could just keep a, the way I would do it is just keep a library and photos and say, okay, I want a warm light and just pick whichever one is hold it up and hold it up and you're good. Um, a couple of things. I'm, number one, I'm sure there's an app that does this. Um, and number two, you could just, t- t- for a pure white light, can't you just open an about blank page? Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think that you'd want to kind of think about the color of the light you want to portray. Um, also, I mean, though, there's so many great um, small LED-based external lighting sources available. I was just, we were at Disneyland a couple of weeks ago, and someone was there with a little circular light. I forget the name of it, but it, it fit in his bag, and it did this amazing warm light. He was taking pictures with it. And it just it just reminded me how, you know, it used to be you needed all this heavy, expensive gear, and now you can fit something in a in a day pack that gives you amazing light in the evening. So. Lighting is no longer a problem if you're willing to throw a few bucks at, at getting something to work for you. Uh, we had a lot of good feedback on that show. Um, I have uh, now approved with my boss uh, that we have uh, a, a an investment into some moment lenses. So I'm going to get some moment lenses. And uh, and uh, I put them on the holiday list, list last week. And now I just want the world to know, hey, great. I don't even, it's coming before the holidays. So how's, how's that? I can report on that in the future. I'm looking forward to seeing how they work. We um, did get a, a, an email from a listener, Rico, who wanted to let us know about um, a system that he is using to learn how to code. Um, it is code-free.co. Um, and he said it taught him how to think like a programmer. Uh, he said everything that he's using is... Um, uh, using on a uh, being taught using a program called Bubble, um, and he's now following the Swift Playground courses and is teaching his children with um, Code Academy's iOS app. So we, we've had a lot of people who have, have written written in saying, "I, I want to learn how to program. I want to do different types of things." So you know, perhaps if that might be your 2018 resolution, because those are those are coming up, um, that might be something you you want to check in on. I think there's more ways to learn now than there ever have been. And this is a fun hobby, really. If you've got the time, you don't have to make a living at it. And it it uh, allows you to use some of those gray cells in your brain to learn a different way to think. Nothing wrong with that. We heard from um, some general comments and questions. Uh, one was about online fax options from Adam. Um, we talked about online facts and the problems with oh, it. I'm sorry, real, real free. It's, it's, it's code free, no hyphen, just code free.co. My bad. Okay. Uh, so Adam was talking about the, um, the different online services and he likes one called srfacts.com. I'm going to check it out. I haven't, I haven't gone there yet, but that was a bit of help. I also heard from Dean. Um, Dean is a listener that did a really cool workflow workflow that I uh, checked out and I'm going to put links for this in the show notes. And he made this one that allows you to take checklist items in Apple Notes and extract them into OmniFocus. You know, just take the, you know, because sometimes it's easy to make those checklists while you're working in Notes. But he gave you a way to just select them and drop them into OmniFocus as a uh, as additional tasks so you don't have to retype or anything. I thought that was a nice little, uh, little trick from one of our listeners. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Well, people always like to know about um, stuff that we're playing with. And um, David, I know that you're playing with a lot of stuff getting ready for your big Europe trip. So um, tell us about some of the, the stuff that you're, you found. Because I know it's been, um, have you done an overseas trip in a while? or what? It's been years. I've done them before, but it's just been years. So I, uh, 
I have a, I have doubled down on the Eagle Creek packing cubes. Um, we've talked about those in past shows over the years. They're these little cubes you get off Amazon. I think it's like 15 bucks for three or four of them. And they have zippers in there. You can see through them. They have mesh on the top. And uh, I have been using these to travel for a long time. It just makes loading your bag so easy. It's just, they're just, if you spend a little time working with these things, you're going to love them. And uh, I got some more because now the whole family is going on this trip. Um, I haven't decided yet what I'm going to do about power. You know, you've got all these different, you know, plugs when you get over there. And I, I haven't fully researched that. If, uh, if anybody has uh, the answer, let me know. Send me a tweet. Um, what did you do when you went over there? You were just there recently to Europe. Yeah, I got um, a little adapter. And if I can find the one I got, I put a, I'll put a link in the show notes. There, there are a couple of different ways you can do it. But the one, it, it was kind of bulky, but I liked it because it was kind of like a transformer block. It was all in one and it had all the adapters um, plugged into one thing. I think I got mine from AAA because uh, that's who we used to book our trip. We had a travel agent. Um, and then I found that one that we got. And then I went on Amazon and bought a couple of other ones. Um, but it was this, I think it was made by Conair, if that reminds me. I'll find the link and put it on Amazon. Um, and, and what it did, it had all the adapters built in and they they plugged into each other. But then it would also give you three outlets. So you could take one outlet, one plug in, and convert it into three outlets. Now, it did the conversion, but it did not do, I'm sorry, it, it did the, the physical conversion of the plug, but it did not do any power conversion if that's what you needed. I, my technology load for this trip is not going to be that big. I'm going to bring the MacBook, as we talked about, with a power cord, and then I'm going to bring the anchor uh, brick that can charge the MacBook and the iPad and stuff. I'm going to bring the 10.5-inch iPad, the uh, the iPhone 10, and my Apple Watch, and a couple cords to charge them. I, I just don't think I'm going to need a lot of gear. I'll definitely bring my pencil and my um, my smart keyboard cover as well for the iPad. I mean, my intention really is to use the the 10.5-inch iPad for most of the trip. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're going to find is that if you can just do the the physical conversion, um, all of your Apple stuff is going to be fine. And, and so much of it does by USB, if you just take one of those anchor things, you know, everybody will be able to, to power up. Yeah, that's that's my intention. And, and I'm not even bringing, you know, I used to on big trip, family trips, bring the extra hard drive to copy the photos to it while I was on the trip. I'm not even sure I'm going to do that. I mean, I because everything goes up to iCloud. We're going to be in a hotel that has Wi-Fi. It's going to be backing up as we take them. Um, I just don't know. You know, I, I think I'm going to be able to be very light on technology for this trip. Uh, one thing I'm going to bring is my binoculars. I have a really cool pair of binoculars I bought several years ago just for looking at stars and things. like. And, um, and uh, I hope I don't get arrested, you know, walking around Europe looking at things in binoculars. But... If I do, maybe some listener can bail me up. That's interesting. Okay. Um, one of the one of the things I noticed, what are you going to do about data over there? Are you just going to go Wi-Fi only? Or are you going to get a SIM card? Because, you know, you, you walk into the airport and there are all the SIM cards that are available. That's probably the easiest thing to do. My daughter was in Europe for a while last year. So we kind of went through this and we're on AT&T. AT&T has a thing where you pay $10 a day and it just includes you and your your data from home. And um, I think what we're going to do is I'm just going to pay the $10 a day for me. And for the rest of the family, we're going to turn off the cellular radios and just have them work off Wi-Fi. And so if clients call me, 
I can pick up the phone and they don't have, they don't have to go through this whole thing. Uh, where are you? Well, you know, I can just pretend like everything is normal. And, um, I think that's the intention. I haven't made a final decision yet, but I, looking at it, you know, if I'm gone for 10 days, it's a hundred bucks. And then I don't have to screw with, you know, getting an extra SIM card and, and my phone number will work. And I think that probably is the best solution to the problem for me. For for you, that's probably the best solution because you're going to need to take client calls and, and have that be a seamless process and not have to be, you know, messing with phone numbers because call the call piece is important to you. Um, I think what you're going to find, though, is your family's going to want data. And I think what you'll find for them, the easiest thing to do uh, is to get a pre- prepaid SIM and pop it in. I, my my suspicion is, is that within 24 hours, they'll have prepaid SIMs in their phones. Yeah, we'll see. I mean... Like I said, the places we're staying have Wi-Fi, and um, I don't know. I mean, they're not going to need it for phone calls. Uh, we have AT&T phones. I have to find out if I can even, you know, like Verizon phones, I think you can just put a SIM in. I'm not sure that's true with AT&T phones once you get over there. Anyway, I, I have to research that. I've got another month before we leave. So that that's on my checklist, and I haven't really got to the bottom of it. But, but I guess in terms of gear for the trip, I, I'm not buying a whole lot of stuff. Like I said, I'm going to get some more packing cubes. And I, I'm really taking a very close look at all the technology stuff. I mean, I'm not bringing all the extra cords and cables that I always bring and never use. I just decided I'm just going to get by without it. If, if, if this suddenly becomes the trip where I needed an HDMI cable, then I'm just going to have to suffer. You've got plenty of time, and we've done a lot of episodes about travel, so you've you've got some stuff to look for. So one of the things that I've been playing with recently is an app that I've heard about extensively. I think Dave Hamilton from the Mac Geek App originally turned me on to it, and that is iMazing. I started looking at it because, you know, Apple took apps out of iTunes. And honestly, I, I didn't care. When Apple took apps out of iTunes, I, you know, I didn't really lose anything. I hadn't used apps in iTunes for years. And it was just more of an annoyance having to update all the apps constantly in iTunes and update them on my phone. But, you know, it, it started me thinking about the way that I managed my my phone on my computer. And I started um, with their free iMazing mini version. Um, which is a, a free mini version of iMazing. And what it will allow you to do is to back up your your phone um, to your computer or your iPad, you know, any iOS device that will allow you to back it up to your computer. And it's it's basically like an iTunes backup on, on steroids. It will allow you to um, back up multiple devices. It will allow you to store multiple versions of the backup. It kind of like Time Machine will you know, consolidate them down so that you um, are only keeping the most recent or you're only keeping pieces of the most recent. It will allow you to schedule backups, decide how many you want to take. Um, and then my favorite piece is you didn't have to have iTunes running in the background. It was just a little menu bar app and it would um, it, it would allow you to configure it so that when your device was plugged in at night and on power, like it would just automatically wirelessly back up. So not only was I backing up to iCloud automatically, but I was also getting a wireless backup to my Mac automatically. Um, and it did other things like, you know, manage your, your battery tool and or manage your battery and give you information and things like that. And it did all that for free and you could restore from iTunes and do those types of things. Um, but of course, they give you the teaser for free because they want you to buy iMazing, which is their their full featured app which will let you do all kinds of things like really dig in and directly transfer data 
from one iPhone to another. Um, it will make you, let you transfer music. It will give you easy access to your photos. Um, it will do all the backup. It will um, allow you to download your messages. It will allow you to manage contract uh, contacts. It will allow you, I mean, it will basically, it is a tool for allowing you to dig in and see and manipulate all of the stuff that is on your iPhone that you can't normally do with iTunes. Um, uh, even if you just download the free version to do the backup piece, I, I think that's great. Um, but the, they're having a Black Friday sale right now for the full version. And so I went ahead and upgraded uh, to the full version. And I think it's just a good kind of tool to have in your tool set. At some point, even if it's not my phone, I'm going to get asked to save something off of somebody else's phone. Family tech support. Um, I think it's a good thing to have in your toolbox for tech support. So. Uh, one other thing, Katie, uh, I want to just follow up on this because it's so recent off the gift guide. Uh, one of the listeners sent in a really cool link for a uh, Amazon USB-C slash USB-A thumb drive that goes in your keychain. Did you see that link? Um, I saw that link. Uh, it, it looked like um, it wasn't a male USA, USB-A thumb drive. It was a female USB-A thumb drive. I, are you sure? I'm I'm not sure, but I I looked at I looked at the photos and looked at the photos and looked at the photos and did not see a, a USB A mail plug, so couldn't quite figure out how that plugged into other computers. All right, I will I will I'll put a link into it into the show notes to see if other people can can figure that out. And uh, it, if it is what it says it is, it it looks interesting because it looks like a smaller version of the USB C and USB A hard drive or uh, thumb drive. I think it's the outer casing is the male um, USB A drive. I think that it's just that small, but maybe I'm maybe I'm looking at it wrong. Could be. Hey, we did another feedback episode, and and I think I I muted almost all of my coughing and wheezing and hacking. So I think so. Good on me. <laughs> Next week I'm going to feel a lot better, and that'll be good. Yes, I hope you do. All right. Well, you can uh, find links to everything that we talked about in our show notes. You can find that at relay.fm slash MPU. And if you have things that you want to add, let me tell you, the best place to send that in uh, is either to um, send it to us on Twitter. The show is at Mac Power Users. I'm at Katie Floyd. David is at Max Sparky. Or you can join in the conversation on our Facebook group. Um, you can find that link um, through our show notes as well. We love your email, but we just can't keep up with the email. So Twitter is really, or Facebook is really preferred at this point, right? Yes. It, 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 the, the, the karma, you're killing us. It's just hard. You know? And they're great emails. It's just, I can't keep up and also pay the bills. So we've got to like figure it out. Yeah. Tw Twitter is much preferred for, for sure. And hey, you got like 280 characters now, right? Yeah. There you go. Double. So that, yeah, you got plenty of space to say what you need to say. And we Twitter. set that up. We, we called them and asked them to do that for you. Yeah. They're very responsive. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye-bye.